Hi guys, welcome to No Balls Cricket. This is episode 11. We're back from our first ever Diwali vacation, which lasted about two months. Um, maybe not that long, but anyway. Um, along with me, as usual, are, my, are the two wise men of cricket. Siddharth Salanki, our junior international from Singapore, who apparently has been thrown out of the team on multiple occasions, not just one. What does that mean, thrown out? What do you mean thrown out of the team? Oh, I meant dropped. Um, That's my brother chatting actual shit. We can we can speak to my fellow um, colleagues from the under thirteen days <laughs> and verify. He was he was definitely fucking wrong. I'm pretty sure nobody wants to speak to you from your under thirteen days. You sound like a bit of a you know. <laughs> what did he actually say? <laughs> anyway, uh, there's, there's a, there are words I don't want to mention on this podcast. Anyway, um, the one time you're the... politically correct is on the podcast. Oh, I have to be, don't I? Yes. And of course, the other the other member of our crew is the uh, unmistakable, you know, trash-sounding Mr. Aditya Devrat, also our editor and respected journalist. Um, anyway, uh, today we're, we have a very viable discussion about the future of cricket. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how many people actually value our opinions. But, Zero. Uh, we're going to give them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to give them anyway. Um, so it's been an interesting last few weeks. Um, the women's World T20 raised a lot of eyebrows. Um, there was a bit of controversy amongst the Indian side. And despite beating the Australians in a group game, they ended up losing to England in the semi-finals and getting knocked out of the tournament. Australia, of course, went on to win. Um, as, along with all of that, there's talk about you know the future of Test cricket that's been going on for quite a while. Um, we saw Yasser Shah pick up eight wickets the other day in front of practically an empty stadium. Um, while Sri Lanka got blanked by England at home, which was really strange and really shocking. Um, but despite all of that, it produced some interesting results. And as well as that, we had the T10 League that took place in uh, the UAE. Uh, and that was basically like watching stick cricket, but it kind of provided us a bit of a window into what the future of the game could look like uh, if we went down that path. And along with that, the women's T20 was uh, made part of the 2022 Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. So it's been an interesting week for cricket and obviously leads into a direct discussion about the future of cricket itself. Uh, let's start with Mr. Siddharth Solanki because he always gives us the most, uh, you know, sort of satirical and cynical views on, on international cricket. Uh, let's begin with the pre- premier format, Test Cricket. Is it the premier format? I think for a, for people from a certain generation, definitely. But I was listening, in, I was listening to or reading something on Reddit where some guy was talking about some someone asked some Australian guy saying, "What what do the kids think about the game in Australia? Are they still interested?" And they said, "Not so much in Test cricket, but they they're absolutely mad about T20s." But he said, you know what, back in my day, that's how I felt about ODIs. But as I grew older, I came, I came to appreciate um, the value and the joy you get from watching good test cricket. But I think the debate about, oh, is test cricket dying? Or has been going on for so long. It's still alive. And I think in the near future, I don't see test cricket being played every... Maybe the ashes will go on for a long time. But other than that, I don't think it'll be a common common thing. I genuinely see, because there's so much money in the IPL, 
and we have so many cities i see it expanding to maybe 10 15 cities um expanding into a longer longer format as well maybe 3 4 months but i think that's where the future of cricket is in the short format so one second you're saying the future of cricket is in less international cricket then? yeah yeah <clears throat> Okay, that's an interesting view. That's not what I was catering for, um, Mr. Editor. Um, I look. Maybe this is just uh, the generational gap speaking, but I can't. There's I, no generational <laughs> gap. There's a huge generational we're, gap. For for listeners, we're literally six years apart. Six years is huge, man. It's it's not a generation <laughs> huge, but yeah. No, well, please. I'll tell you why six years is huge because. You would have started watching cricket around the time that T Twenty was first played. No, yes. No, I started watching in two thousand two, two thousand three. That's when, literally but, the first T Twenty no, was played. No, no, in no, no, but D Twenty no, no, became a mainstream thing when I was slightly older, which was around two thousand six, two thousand seven. And when when India won the World Cup, that's when it hit proper mainstream. Till then, even the kids didn't care. How old were you when that happened? Two thousand seven, eleven years old. There you go. So that would make it something like the first thing that he's ever watched. Oh, well, I, I mean, I've the, watched the first, the first sort of <laughs> seminal moment of cricket that you've watched. No, the first ever proper moment that I remember was uh, like genuinely my first cricket memory is uh, Ashish Nehra with the six for twenty three against England in the World Cup. So two thousand three World Cup, basically, we didn't play. Yeah, in that's what I We played Kenya. Mm-hmm. No, so. Again, Mike. Okay, so he goes this. Now I'll raise you one thing. Um, where does the Test Championship lead this? Look, um, that's interesting. Oh, are you asking Devrat? Well, both whoever uh, wants. Devrat, go yeah. first. Yeah, yeah. Because I actually I didn't finish my answer from from earlier because we got onto this whole sidetrack of how big a generation gap. gap is. I look. Firstly, I think to what as to what Sid said about. Um, About the IPL, I do. I find it strange, firstly, that the IPL hasn't expanded. Badminton is expanding. There are literally now more badminton franchises in India than there are IPL franchises, which is astounding to me. Um, but so, so I think that definitely will happen. Where we, from eight teams, we'll get to say ten, twelve, maybe but, even sixteen. And then, obviously, once you have Adi, more teams, you, yeah, go before on. you go on. The, isn't the reason why it hasn't expanded uh, because? If it does expand in, with into more teams, it'll just be a longer uh, I was just, duration of the I was just getting there. I was just getting and there. We'll, I was just getting yeah, there. So, okay, the, so okay. by so by by default, when we have more teams um, and more cities, it's going to become a longer tournament. Uh, and honestly, I mean, because I don't see the whole value of T Twenty Is in general. Um, in that, I like, yeah, you have the T Twenty World Cup, and you know this, you you get some value in terms of playing for your country and playing with that team in. In training for a T Twenty World Cup, but I feel like the skills that you have to ex- execute in a T Twenty R are the same as what you have to execute in franchise T Twenty, and it's just—I mean, we select people. All the countries in the world select their select their T Twenty players based on IPL or other other league performances. So I think I do get the feeling that the IPL is just going to cannibalize the whole T Twenty I segment and possibly even ODIs. But I don't see it happening with Test simply because. Look, I think a lot of the players just keep holding Test cricket as the pinnacle. Even people who have sort of been slotted in as as limited over specialists, like even, someone like Josh Butler, for example, who was who had up two two years ago he'd given up playing first. He'd largely given up playing first class cricket. Um, you know, was out out of the Test picture and everything. And then 
you know, the moment he comes back from the test side, starts hitting runs, starts scoring centuries, he's like, you know, this is the high point of my career. This is the biggest thing that's ever happened. And you even that's happening even with this generation of cricketers, where Virat Kohli is like, look, test cricket is test cricket. Nothing yeah. beats that. But but they've they've grown up with probably parents who watched a lot of test cricket. But I'm not saying that test cricket will stop being a thing in the next ten years. But eventually, when you get a each generation will probably start following it less because they've grown up on something completely different. And that's when Test Cricket will stop losing uh, its dominance in what cricket fans are. And also there's one more thing. Because it's five days, right? I don't think TV companies or TV channels will want many Test Cricket matches to go on because they won't earn as much money. And I'm pretty sure that will influence how... Um, how much test cricket will be played in the near future? I mean, look, it's interesting. It's 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 very interesting. You say this because the the the, the funny thing about the recent Australian the new TV deal that the, the, that CA worked out with hiding everything behind a paywall and just being giant douchebags in general was that they were not happy with the fact that Channel Nine only wanted to broadcast international cricket. They weren't a they weren't interested in too much T Twenty. And too much one-day cricket. Channel 9 was solely and wholly interested in keeping test cricket on their stations. That's a bit of a departure from what you're saying. It's like when BBC had the rights, right, for example. When they, when they put it behind a paywall, they're going to lose all the followers that they have. That's what's happened in uh, English cricket. Well, the thing was that Sky had bought the rights a long time before they put it behind the paywall. No, no, it happened in 2000, after the Ashes. Well, yeah, but After the, the big Ashes. The thing was that for seven or eight years before that, Sky had the cricket along with it being on Channel 4, which was free-to-air TV. Yeah, but that's what I mean, right? Just when, when it went off free-to-air TV, that's when it lost uh, the yeah, British public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but that's, uh, but that's has nothing to do with, with test that's cricket. That's not just test cricket, right? That's with all cricket. Because all cricket was... Yeah, all cricket, yeah. but... No, my, my point is very simple. Uh, the fact is that Channel 9 had, despite... Everything being said about free-to-air TV and all of that, they were not interested in having anything to do with any other form of cricket. They just wanted mainly tests and a few ODIs. Yeah, but I think it might be it might be something with, to do with tradition as well. I think that might be it, right? In the modern world, look at the, what they lo- lose out on. They're losing out on the Big Bash League. And if you're saying that T20 cricket is going to go in a franchise direction as opposed to T20 internationals, right? They're losing out on T20Is being the dominant format. They're losing out on most one-day cricket. The only thing they're gaining is the traditional test cricket, which obviously meant they're making money from their module. Yeah, but not enough for someone like Star Sports. Maybe it might be a big thing in Australia, but eventually, when you see... Because that's what influences what these TV channels buy, right? If the advertisers are getting enough eyes on their product. And no one watches test cricket for five days in a row. And it happens during the daytime when everyone's at work. So eventually, that model won't be sustainable. Well, I mean, okay. So, the thing is that, you know, everyone says that test cricket is dying, yada, yada, yada. And they go on forever. And then, there'll be one completely unbelievable test match. And then everybody's six to the screen yet again. That's what always happens with test cricket. But the thing is, test cricket's been going down a path for a long time now. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a trend. And, and, yeah, the thing is, they've tried to redress it with the test championship. Will it work? Again, this question is for either of you. I don't know if personal look I think go on go on from from a com- competitiveness point of view in in the sport it can work and it probably will work because I think a lot of there, there'll just be a lot more meaning attached to matches I think there'll be um 
you know, fewer sort of, you'd hope at least that there are fewer one-sided matches, fewer, you know, everyone trying to win games, fewer draws, that sort of thing. But when we're... You know what that reminds me of? The Europa, uh, the UEFA Nations League. Yeah, and the UEFA that... Nations League, by the way, is, a, is is now suddenly being lauded as a great concept when like four months ago, everyone was like, what the hell is this? Yeah, just because it gives context. Yeah, that's what exactly. all cricket fans are exactly. crying out for. So test matches have context. So for that, from that perspective, sure. I think what... I'll raise you another really interesting example. Stop where raising other examples before people are finished answering your first question. <laughs> I'm just going to go with that. He says it's like the UEFA Nationals League. I'm just going to bring up another example of what happened. Um, rugby union for the most part of the, of the 20th century, right? Till about the mid-1990s, was played on a similar bilateral basis. The way that Test cricket has been played for the longest time. The minute they changed the format from these test tours where they'd play provincial teams and, you know, South Africa playing New Zealand would be the biggest thing in, in rugby union. They lost as many eyeballs as they... Uh, they lost the newer eyeballs. The thing with that is because, again, the format doesn't change. Whereas cricket has different formats, rugby union doesn't. It just has one format. Um, but they lost that sense of sort of... gladiatorial, you know, that kind of spectacle where it's one-on-one, one-upmanship more than the other. I think it's a hard comparison to make though because rugby had, I mean, obviously, you know, each country still has its own rugby leagues, um, but the the whole concept of international rugby had a little more, like international rugby has retained the importance that that it always has, whereas international cricket is losing out to domestic cricket or franchise cricket rather. And, um, but it's only losing out to franchise cricket in the shortest format. Oh yeah, because there's losing no, out because to... there's but but that's because there is no such thing as fran- uh, franchise ODI leagues or uh, franchise test leagues, right? We have everything else has not well, been turned into a franchise. Okay, well let's put it this way: if you wanted to turn test cricket into a more interesting game, right? Would you promote day night cricket, day night test cricket in particular? Yeah, because it makes it more accessible to fans. But that's like that. I think the only the 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 way the place that makes an in an impact is in stadium attendance. I don't know how much of a difference it makes. I mean, in theory, sure, that means you have more people sitting at home in the evening, so they're more free to watch the the evening session rather than missing an entire day's cricket because they're at work um, or at school or whatever. But um, so in that sense, maybe you you add the eyeballs there, but. Um, like, I don't know if it's as big a cure as everyone thinks it is. Yeah, it probably won't cure anything. Just because it's, the advertisers still won't be willing to pay that much money to broadcast Test Cricket. But anyway, I think this discussion's focused a lot on whether Test Cricket will mm-hmm. live or not. We're going to move it back to limited overs cricket now. Yeah, we'll move it back to the Commonwealth Games. and. Okay, so... You're saying Test cricket is in a form of complete stasis. Where do you see it in ten years' time? Do you see it dying off? Do you see it still being there? Do you see the Test championship improving things? Where do you go from here? First, Mr. Editor, then I'll go to Sid. No, I don't see Test cricket dying off because I think the players will always have will always give it importance. Um, and there's some things, some series that will just always have that sort of uh, like that value. Ashes would be one of them, I think. Uh, whenever India or South Africa India, play, even. yeah, India yeah. or South Africa play Indi- England or Australia, like any of those four playing each other, if we ever get India and Pakistan to play bilateral bi- bilateral cricket again, I think that would be a huge jolt for Test cricket as well. 
Um, mm-hmm, so yeah, I don't see Test cricket dying off, but I do think it is, uh, you know, it'll have to adapt to attract fans in 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 a way, and that I think the administrators will have to figure out how it's happening. Day night cricket's one uh, one solution. Four day test maybe. I, look, I'm not that big a fan of the idea, but that's if that if the, that's what it ends up being, then you know that's what it'll end up being. So I I think I think we'll have to find those solutions and and uh, make sure to keep. I but I don't see it dying out. I think it'll always be relevant. Sid, uh, just because cricket's a game steeped in tradition, I think while it will be relevant in the next ten years, it'll be less relevant than it is now. I think we'll see something like the West Indian players, for example, uh, who, who who just prefer to uh, go play uh, franchise cricket around the world instead of um, coming and playing for West Indies and the Test team. I do agree that something like the Ashes or maybe India England because it's so profitable, those sort of series will keep on happening, but I don't think they'll happen as frequently as they do now. So the next, I know, I know what you said at the day about how the players still value it, but uh, try imagining players coming up. So players who will be playing cricket in the next thirty years, or who who will be playing cricket in let's say twenty fifty, how will they view Test cricket? Because slowly, you're seeing T Twenty um, cricket becoming a bigger thing. How do you think they'll perceive Test cricket? I think, I mean, look, because you look at people like Prithvi Shaw, right, who's just starting off, he's 17, 18, rather, sorry. Um, and, like, again, for him, the biggest honor is he, that he's been selected for India's test side. And I think that that aspect may not change because we because that's just one of those hand-me-down traditions that will keep going. Like, you, like literally, I, I don't want to make draw this line in, in the sense of the comparison that, he, that it invokes, but you're literally going from, say, Gavaskar to... Sachin to Kohli to Shaw, and I think that 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 keep passing that that idea those ideals down from generation to generation will just keep continuing. I, and so I don't think I, I think the cricketers yeah, but, who want, who are going to be playing in in twenty fifty will will have some sense, some like understanding of that tradition that has been passed down to them. Sure, but I, I do feel like it'll be less relevant, but. We'll see. We'll see if we're both alive in 2050. Obviously, you're uh, a generation older than me, so you probably <laughs> won't. <laughs> no, okay. Uh, my view is quite similar to Deva's. I don't think it's going to die out either. I think, And I don't think it's going to necessarily become less relevant. I have a feeling it's going to fall into a kind of... Uh, a sort of stasis that it's in right now, where... So it's going to remain the same. It's going to pre- remain pretty much... Uh, well, yeah. Test cricket, at least. Because you're playing test cricket the way it's always been played. That's not changing. Um, you may change the the format. You may change it. You may turn it into a test championship. You may turn it into day-night cricket. But I don't think the sort of ideals behind test cricket are going to change. The traditions will remain the same. The way that people are born and brought up to play the game are going to change. Uh, are remaining the same. It's different for ODIs. I don't, One day cricket is the format now that is somewhere stuck in the middle. Because T20 has a very clear path with... Uh, the franchises FP. and uh, as I was say, uh, saying, um, you know, Test cricket has this sense of tradition that's always going to be passed down. I think but it'll go into a sense of stasis. Can I have one final comment? Yeah, one second. Yeah. So I know you said that Test cricket won't be won't be any less relevant in the future because of the whole tradition and all of that. But you already see, for example, the discussion about having uh, re-examining tosses, for example. 
or starting the test championship. We already see that there are issues with uh, the viability of test cricket. We're trying to make it interesting, which just suggests that people are not as interested as they were back in the 50s or 60s. Don't you agree? That that's. I mean, the 50s and 60s, it was the only format. So if you were a fan of cricket, you didn't have a choice. No, no, but You're I, talking about somewhere like the, the mid-90s, where one-day cricket really came into its own. Became uh, the, 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 yeah, but I'm the saying, primary but, thing. But I'm saying that they're trying to make it exciting, which suggests that there is a problem right now. Oh, no, look, I'm, of course but I don't problem. think anyone's doubting that there is a problem. I think the point... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Nobody's doubting that. I, I think the point is that I, because of the value test cricket holds, it's... I think the sol- any solutions will be geared towards keeping it relevant and keeping it alive rather than... I, I don't think we're going to get to I a think, point where it's like, okay, look, test cricket just isn't working. I think it... I don't know if this is the, an appropriate analogy, but the value of these things sort of dilutes every generation. What what if, for example, the monarchies in different countries... Oh, come on, don't compare no, no, but test cricket you know, to the monarchy. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm cutting this bit out. No, doesn't that make sense though? Because people, <laughs> no, it does no, not. Of course it does. People valued it earlier, but as oh, as time goes on, they understand that, you know what, it actually doesn't, it, it can't exist in the modern world. I think it's a very appropriate analogy. Um, it, I don't, I think that's utter rubbish. I think, uh, yeah, also I think it's just, it's just actually quite inaccurate because yeah. you're not, it, you're, you're exactly. not really looking, you're not properly looking at the monarchy and assessing its value. Exactly. The monarchy has no value, whereas test cricket, even in the modern day and age, still may have value. But I'm saying It may not be the most popular thing on earth, but it still has a value. Yeah, but and the monarchy I'm, has but, none. But I'm saying, I'm saying back in the day when people thought, oh, the monarchy, there will always be a king and a queen because, you know, tradition and what. There whatnot. still is a king and a queen. They're just irrelevant. That's, yeah, but not in as many places as they used to be. Most countries are Republican now. Monarchies don't rule. Uh, That's my point. But that's exactly my point. Is what I'm saying that these values but, and these traditions and what you think but, is important or not but what we're trying dilutes to, every. But no, but what generation. we're trying to say is that it's not. The fact is, it's still being passed down. It's not diluted to a point where it's going to be thrown off a cliff. And the thing is, but, and the <laughs> thing is, and the thing is that the bigger countries, Test cricket still maintains its following. Like if you go to a Test match in Bombay, it's still sold out. You go to a Test match in anywhere in England, it's still sold out. You go to a Test match in a smaller country where they're probably not making enough money out of it. And it's not. people Places that are losing. The, I, and I think a lot of this has to do with results. A, a lot of the places that you're seeing a lack of interest in test cricket is where the results are poor. Sri Lanka, West Indies, um, things like that. Pakistan, of course, they can't control. And if they ever brought cricket back to Pakistan, even test cricket would have full stadiums. Yeah, but that's because there are a lot of jobless people in India and Pakistan, bro. But my, my but point what about is that the, what I, about England and I, no, no, hold on, hold on. And I've been chastigated for racist comments on it. No, it's not racist comment. It's ja- a, jobless people in India and Pakistan. It's quite true, dude. We are yeah, how, we have a high rate look, of unemployment. But, how you, but anyways, that's how not do you, the, how do you, my point. How do you, is that Test cricket doesn't end right now, or not in the next ten years, not in the next twenty years. In a few generations, I genuinely believe. Just looking at the trend. Where, we're not talking about a few generations. We're talking about the next few. No, you, you said, said future. You said future. The next generations can be 20, 30, 40, 100 years. We said future <laughs> test. We didn't limit it to 2025, bro. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that in the next 50, 60 years, it just won't be a format. 100% not. All right. Um, I, I, before, before we end, I, I genuinely hope that it still is, but I don't think it will be. Anyway, the point we were trying to make was that it's gone into a bit of... St- and where I remain is it, it it's going to stay in a state of stasis for a while. Um, What's a while? 
Can you please tell us what your while is? <laughs> Next. <laughs> genuine, it's a genuine question. So it's what? Another 30 years. Let's put 30 years as a while. <laughs> Someone needs to write this down because we'll have to have a reunion uh, episode. <laughs> We're true. coming back in 30 years down the line. and doing a reunion podcast on the state of cricket. Yeah. Yeah, we'll probably be uh, phonogrammed in, a, you know, some like... Uh, what are those things called? The hologram then, sorry. Phonogram. <laughs> <Phonogram. laughs> yeah, way to go way back into the past, man. I know. Yeah, I DeLorean that shit. This just makes me question everything Sid said about, because he's definitely living in the past, bro. <laughs> I don't trust his opinions on cricket anymore. <laughs> no, okay. So the way to look at it now is that one of the other formats, we've spoken at length about test cricket. What happens about the other formats? T20, T2, T10 even that you're watching. And more important than all of that, the only format that can actually say it has a legitimate World Cup, 50 over cricket. All that and more on the second part. Okay, um, this is now part two of our uh, episode 11, which is basically all about the future of cricket. On part one, we've spoken at length about the future of Test cricket and how most of it revolves around being exactly similar to the British monarchy. Irrelevant. Uh, and potentially irrelevant. Sorry, potentially irrelevant and slowly sliding into extinction. Um, Right. uh, The next part, of course, is going to be about limited overs cricket. Um, We'll start with the preeminent limited overs format. And no, it's not T20. I'm talking about one-day cricket. The only format that actually has a World Cup in it. I don't get Um, why you say this. There is a T20 World Cup. No, no. Well, that's called the, the World T20. That's not called the World oh, Cup. But it is the World Cup. I know. Look, it, like, it is the World Cup. Well, it's semantics like, more than anything. Then this that, is going to yeah, be... This, you're like needlessly spitting hairs like, to oh. prove a point. <laughs> yeah, he's going he's gonna to say, oh, England, Australia are the only teams that have the Nat West Ashes series. Oh, dear God. Something like I'm that. I'm trying to make one-day cricket sound important. It's not. But you can do it that's without saying this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just by the way, the women's, anyway. world, the women's World T20 was officially called the T20 World Cup, so... Who was it now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway. So, firstly, one day cricket is the pinnacle of limited overs cricket in both the men's and women's games. Because the women don't really play a lot of test cricket anymore. There's only one Ashes test that I can recall in the last four years. Um, or two, was it, has it, whatever. Whenever they played the Ashes, they played a test match. I can't recall any women's tests outside of that. Um, that's one. And they have their own World Cup. The men have their own World Cup. The women's World Cup last year was a really well, keenly contested affair. Um, And also we've got um, the 2019 World Cup coming up in England with all the format changes and everything. And this is going to bring the smaller teams into focus as well. But One Day Cricket is going to start off with an ODI league come 2019. Um, This is outside of the World Cup, which is going to give meaning to uh, bilateral series. But we've already slowly watched a bit of a reduction in the number of games that are played over bilateral series. I mean, India and Australia would play, used to play five or seven Seven. games in bilateral series. And uh, the one attached to the back end of the store is just three. South Africa played three recently in Australia. Um, Didn't we play seven against them or something stupid against South Africa this year? No, we played six, but that's because we tacked on one because we dropped a test match. Okay. but even, you know, when you go to places like Sri Lanka, you rarely play more than five nowadays, uh, even in the West Indies. And the Tri-Series, effectively, a format that kind of ruled um, one-day cricket for a long, long time is effectively dead. 
So where does one day cricket go? And of course, there's the the question of the contracted World Cup itself. Uh, Sid, we'll start with you because you seem the most cynical again. <laughs> I was gonna because you mentioned this uh, in the previous segment that again ODI has lost relevance because of T20s. And I know I don't want to be one of those guys who generalizes an entire generation by saying, "Oh, we've got short attention spans and all of that." But I genuinely do believe that people are enjoying the shorter format more, shorter limited overs format more. I and mean, you look, you it, you jump you jump from cricket to the monarchy in two minutes, so clearly your generation does have a short attention span. Their attention no, span that, is ten <laughs> seconds, bro. Their the, the so mind is I, like goldfish. He's saying I can never make an analogy from a completely different era or from completely different sub topics. That's not. No, at that's least not an indicator. Let's not attention. Can we span get back to the? All. Can we get back to the point? If if anything, you couldn't pay attention to this argument. So you oh, went. Dear God, okay, get sorry. back to the point. Uh, yeah. So the point I was making was um, was it? Yeah. Uh, so T Twenty cricket's definitely gained a lot of relevance and. I don't see how in an, in the near future again. What what different things do they both provide? For example, T Twenty <clears throat> cricket and ODI cricket is essentially almost the same now, other than like thirty overs extra. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> other than the thirty overs extra, that's more no, the difference he's, between he's a, two he's, and a half size, times the size. <laughs> he's got a fair point, though. I mean, no, you look does. at the two games. He does because the skills involved in T Twenty cricket are gaining a lot more relevance in fifty over cricket as opposed to anywhere else. A, B, fifty over cricket before they changed the rules, before they changed the balls, and before they had this ridiculous one ball from each end rule, um, was actually at times a lot more like Test cricket when they had pitches that did a bit. They don't have pitches that do anything anymore. The two balls from each end rule makes it virtually impossible for spinners to come into the game. There's no reverse swing, so it's effectively, and this is where his point is true. It has become a lot like T20 well, because the skills are transferable from T20 to, to ODI cricket, not as much from ODI cricket to to Test cricket anymore. And this was a pro- point I think I brought up in um, one of the articles I wrote, where the skills are becoming transferable within the limited overs formats, but not necessarily to Test cricket. One of the articles he wrote. How many? How many have you written, bro? One. One. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, one thing I would say is, uh, I think the whole, the argument on conditions kind of depends on where you're playing cricket, right? Like you saw when England were playing in Sri Lanka, um, or even when India were in Sri Lanka late last year, um, there were plenty of low-scoring matches. The Asia Cup was a fairly low-scoring tournament. Uh, so I think once you're outside of India or England or Australia, you'll get you'll get that variation in conditions where not every single pitch that is prepared is a batting paradise, um, and that and it, honestly even in the IPL you'll get your fair share of, of you know turning tracks or you know show up in Delhi and you'll probably get hit in the face by a full spinning ball. Um, so I, I you're, don't. You're more likely to get. One minute. In Delhi, you're probably more likely to get hit with like sludge in your face from the atmosphere than you are with a swimming ball. <laughs> also true. Also true. But um, no, I take your point. A lot of the a lot of the new rule changes have sort of made ODI cricket just way too similar. Like the, uh, and especially like similar in terms of where it's being played, and also similar to T Twenty cricket, as you said, where it's like just see ball, hit ball. The skills that are transferring is you know um, wrist spin. Yorkers, 
and being able to hit sixes as much as possible. It's like you're almost playing the same game but over a slightly lengthier period. And you know, we had a match earlier this year where England, in all, like they should have scored 500 runs in, a, in an innings against Australia. So and that's T20 stuff, isn't it? Yeah, that is T20 stuff because like 200 is now if 200 is not considered mm-hmm. awesome anymore in T20 cricket, right? And and if you just extrapolate, that's 10 and over. You should get to you should start seeing 500 run totals. In 50 over cricket. Yeah, that, I mean, okay, so that's one aspect of it. Secondly, this ODI league is, I think, far more like the Nations League that he was talking about as opposed to what the Test Championship is. Um, Again, it was, a, it was an analogy. I no, don't mean they're exactly the same. I don't <laughs> doubt that. No, and the UEFA Nations League one was a good analogy, so that's the difference. Yeah, there's a huge difference between monarchy and the Nations League. Um, anyway, uh, the other thing with, with ODI cricket is they've had all the innovations. Where do they go from here? You know, you've had, you've had day-night cricket. Man, that's become the norm. You've had, uh, you know, experimenting with rules, various field restrictions, all of that. Right? You even had you, some things that, you know, got, got, uh, I mean, they even it tried, work, the whole, um... Super subs and all of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Australia in their domestic uh, one-day tournament even tried splitting it into two innings of 25 overs. <laughs> Which is what one of our legends suggested, right? Indian legends. I don't know if it's Dravid or Ganguly, but he said we should have two innings. Of, I, oh, it's actually Tendulkar. I get the feeling it was Tendulkar, Sachin yeah. who said it, yeah. Yeah, it was Sachin, it was Sachin. But what was his reasoning? Did he want it to... To, to make it more interesting. No, I don't know what the reasoning was. It was I, terrible and it clearly didn't work. That's why they scrapped it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, the, but the point the idea simply was to put make it is, more interesting, yes. Yeah. Where, I mean, do you, how do you bring... So there's certain things that one-day cricket lacks that uh, would make it far more interesting. Namely, bringing back reverse swing, making bowlers a bit more effective in it. And maybe sort of redressing that balance between bat and ball. T20 can't have that because it's based on on the fact that it's, you know, sure. this sort of explosive no time, kind of yeah. game. And Whereas no one day cricket needs a bit more of a balance. The pitch to wear and whatever in T20s. Exactly. So one day cricket in that sense is far more like test cricket than you'd assume. I mean, conceptually, sure. But I think this, I, I think as we keep coming back to it, it's just that the skills have just become a lot more transferable from T20 to ODI than they have from either limited overs format to tests. Um, look, I th- look. One thing I would be, I would definitely back is getting rid of the one new ball at each end rule. I think that just killed, yeah, made it so much harder for bowlers to have any effectiveness. But uh, we have to ask Sid a very important question. Yeah. It, as long as he believes that Test cricket is like the monarchy, what does he believe One Day cricket is like? Uh, just because you guys said my previous analogy was wrong, I will refrain from making any more <laughs> from, from now on. I'm too insulted. <laughs> so that's a no comment then. Um, the other thing is, one day cricket is a, as a limited as a limited overs format is still surviving on as an international format. There's no expansion into franchise-based cricket the way T20 has gone. And T20 possibly for me should be a franchise-based game that has a World Cup every four years. Yeah. As opposed to one-day cricket having the whole league system. 
because T20 internationals are pretty much dead in the water anyway. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's so. what I was saying in the previous segment that I, I think T20 T20 eyes have just gotten like there's no relevance to them apart from maybe like warming up for a World Cup. Yeah. So do you think this will go in the direction um, of a football season where you have club football or club cricket, and then a World Cup at the end of it? Well, I mean, T20 should. I, I think T20 is perfectly primed to go that direction. Um, I think because it's, it's the perfect. I think here's the, qu- the question: I, though, it, Would you would you still say that the ODI World Cup is the single biggest uh, prize you can win as a cricketer? You judge that by the reactions of some of the smaller countries to not qualify, and the w- that happened when they contracted the World Cup to ten teams, and the reactions that you got out of places like Zimbabwe and Ireland, you know, which now of course Ireland has test status, um, but you know, Ireland, Zimbabwe, you ask any other uh, associate cricketer, somebody like Peter, I think it was Peter Boren, uh, the former Dutch captain, who said that the pinnacle of the game for him, and forget the fact that they'd beaten England in a World T20 game, the pinnacle of the game for him had and would always remain getting to a 50-over World Cup and doing well. Yeah. Yeah, because the, uh, because, because for them, the option of playing test matches achieve. isn't... Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the option exactly. for, for 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 playing test matches isn't even there, right? Um, whereas, exactly. and so yeah, playing in a World Cup is the pinnacle. But I mean, even, I look, I think that's one way to look at it, and and that does prove your point in a way that ODI, that the ODI World Cup is the biggest tournament. But I would also look at it from the other point of view: is for even for test loyalist people like Joe Root and and Virat Kohli and whatnot, this generation of cricketers, it's still like in terms of single biggest moment that you can have in a career, winning the World Cup still tops everything, doesn't it? Like, even, probably even tops being the number one test team. Yeah, but I think being a number one test team, they're not comfortable with with the World Cup, at least, with with a limited overs World Cup, you get a trophy. There's a conclusion to whatever, I mean, the tournament. But I don't think test number one probably gives you that same sort of satisfaction. I think what also helps is the viewership figures. Because it's more... You, you also get... Uh, if you become the number one testy, remember, you get Hanuman's mace. Really? <laughs> yeah, have we not say that? <laughs> but... The ICC uh, test mace. No, look, they're, they're different achievements, yeah, obviously, I mean, because, yes, the, because, the, uh, because be, becoming the test number one is, is a long-term thing. You build up to it. It takes, it takes usually, like, maybe two years of planning. I mean, obviously, even winning the World Cup takes that, but, like... It's literally two years of results versus like one month of result, results uh, to win that tournament. And that's, a, that's just definition of knockout sport versus, you know, longer formats of the game. But I, just, I think, I do get the feeling that the World Cup is, going, is, is what's going to keep the ODI relevant uh, almost single-handedly because of the value of that prize. I, and I think ODIs in general have become much less relevant than they used to be, but just because you can win that prize at the end of a four-year cycle. That, that's just going to keep it, sort of string it along forever. You can also see that subtle shift towards shorter and shorter series as well. And I think that from an ODI perspective is a very good uh, uh, a move. Now, the other thing I wanted to discuss, we'll move away from ODI cricket now. We've discussed um, a lot about it. Um, we'll move to T20s and T10s and, and that kind of thing. Before we go on, shouldn't we speak about, or at least mention... Trying to expand it to different countries. Well, 
that's not a, just World Cup, but just trying to expand cricket. cricket. That's where I'm getting with this whole. Expand that's exactly where I'm going. Sorry, just, bro, just, I couldn't read your mind. <laughs> give me a sec. So, what I'm trying to say, okay, T20 cricket, uh, as you can see, has expanded dramatically over the past few years with the proliferation of a variety of leagues and other things like that. Um, what it's also done is a lot of associate players have yeah. gained traction. Uh, somebody like Sandeep livelihood. And a livelihood as well, yeah, obviously. Uh, somebody like Sandeep Lamichani. Nobody has ever heard of this guy. He's Nepalese. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh, and, I mean, now, know, look, he's, now he's, people he's, have heard of him, obviously, because he's... Now people know about him. One season in the IPL. No, and especially what, you know, that's one example. What, T, what the IPL and T20 cricket in general has done for Afghanistan. Like, I mean, Rashid Khan is now a global star. And no one would have thought about that. Uh, like a cricketer from exactly a cricketer from Afghanistan would be one of the most recognizable faces in in the sport. That, I mean, that's where when a lot of people just start railing against T Twenty cricket and the IPL, I'm like, look, yeah, it's not the purest version of the game, fine, but look at what it's doing for the game overall. Where you take it into, you make it more popular and more accessible for other countries. Um, and even then, like, look, Afghanistan said it. You know, they played their one-off test against India, and they did realize what a huge honor it was. But they got to that status because of their IPL and T20 exploits. Yeah. If they didn't have someone like Rashid Khan and the other big stars, I don't think India or the ICC would have been interested to give them test status. And T20's done that for them. Yeah, that's, a, that's so, the whole point. The other, is, yeah. 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 The next question then is, should the expansion happen with T20 cricket as the ICC wants it to? Or do you think one-day cricket is a stepping stone? Now, Afghanistan have been a very good one-day side. And that's what's brought them test status. But they've been a very good one-day side for a long time. It's been almost 10 years now. Well, they've been good compared to other associates. I think they, they've, they're only, the only time they've been good at, an, at the highest level was this year's Asia Cup, where in theory, they were probably the second best team in the tournament after Asia. <laughs> Just that you know couldn't close out a lot of results. Um, but to, ba- to go back to your question, I would say T20 is probably the easiest way to spread the game to other countries. And we've already seen that, you know, like, uh, I mean, obviously, the Netherlands and Ireland and Zimbabwe and all of these... I mean, Zimbabwe has been playing for ages, but Ireland and the Netherlands would be the other examples of how teams um, made it in, in the one-day format, but now are a lot more uh, regular when it comes to T20s. Um, you know, like more competitive, getting more eyeballs because of it. Uh, it's just easier. And I think you see it... Now, there's a, there's a bloody T20 league in Canada where Stephen Smith is going and playing, like... You clearly, I think the that decision has already been taken. That T Twenty is the way to to spread the game. Yeah, T Twenty. If it's as long as it's the way to spread the game, I mean, it's it's doing a good job so far, and it'll it'll uh, carry forward. Um, you know the way that it's going through. Okay. Right? What? Okay, so then there's two other things left to discuss. One is the women's world T women's T Twenty being added to the Commonwealth Games. That, I think, is a huge achievement for them, isn't it? But that brings up the obvious problem of the West Indies, which, how do you solve that? Nobody knows. Um, but it's a huge step for them, isn't it? It is. I, do, I genuinely don't know how you solve the West Indies question. But, like, also each, I think, from a T20s perspective, maybe each West Indian country would probably feel like they, ha- they would be able to field fairly strong teams. Obviously, not as strong as one combined team, but... You know, there'll be, it'll be, and also it'd be interesting because you have all of those rivalries within within the region where you know you can just say like you just see how Jamaica and Trinidad and 
and you know Guyana goes. See, Guyana, Guyana goes providing a really blockbuster game there. Yeah, exactly. Guyana versus Trinidad would be pretty fun to see. No, and it's good because obviously putting it. I mean, the Commonwealth Games I think is a much bigger deal in India than we make it out to be in terms of a. Oh, sorry, we make it out to be a much bigger deal in India than it actually is. Like from a global perspective, you normally see um, most countries not sending all of their top athletes or whatever, but it it still puts cricket on the global stage in a way that it hasn't been before. Um, and and that would be that would be pretty helpful and definitely helpful for the women's game. But most most Commonwealth countries know of cricket anyway. Shouldn't our end goal be by our I mean cricket fans? And will be the Olympics. Oh yeah, but you you would maybe assume just like just like we do in international sport that the Commonwealth Games is a, is a stepping stone to the Olympics. I understand, but I'm saying this doesn't matter at all. I mean, we can directly get into the Olympics without having to worry about the Commonwealth Games. I don't know if you can because I think that was mooted, right? Uh, well, okay, so the way the International Olympic Committee actually adds new games is that they bring it to a vote, and then the organization that has their shit together the most gets it all the time. Yeah, but... Or, and or, it, has, or has greased enough palms within the IOC. But, um, exactly. But, um, so the thing yeah. is, so I'll give you an example. Squash has been trying to get into the Olympic Games for the last eight years. They have not managed and they've been beating out, beaten out by shit things like wushu and baseball. Which have no relevance to Olympic sport. No, baseball, baseball's baseball. been an Olympic sport for years, though, for for ages. No, like, but not for just eight years. It's been uh, baseball's been an Olympic game for for a long time. They well, they were going to replace uh, baseball. Is that what I meant? Ah. No, look. I think from the Olympic perspective, it's just that you see. I think the anyone who's in a decision decision making role at the IOC will get to see how cricket works at the Commonwealth Games level, and it will just sort of builds the case a bit. I, I get what you're saying, Sid, that you technically don't need to. You can just go to the ISC and But it's just like, look, this it worked at the Commonwealth Games level, so you know maybe it can work at the at the Olympic level too. We have we have a testing. We had it in the Asian testing. Games a few years ago. I think there was a T20 tournament. Um, but they know how it works. Why do they need to show it at the? It's the format can be shown on paper. It doesn't need to be shown as like, oh, this is how we're going to play it, and we're going to finish in this much time, or this is how we're going to organize it. And the other thing is, with T20, it's a shorter format as well. Yeah, it's, it's no, quite simple, actually. That brings me to another question. And I think this is going to be the sort of segue to the end of this uh, discussion. Is T10. Look, Where, I mean, what do you do with that? It's an interesting format because it, it could be the ideal one to bring into the Olympics. It's short. It gets over within an hour. Yeah, but it doesn't possess any of the things about cricket that we actually like. But having said that, neither does T20. It's just a bit slam-bang and a bit of fun, isn't it? That's how it started. But now I think T20 is the only format in the game that's actually trying to innovate how we play cricket. For example, the use of data. <laughs> oh, dear God. But there's a that lot word. more. word. I yeah. cringe every time he says data. But, but T20 started off as a fun thing when I remember we used to have players with nicknames on their backs. And we didn't mm. actually care about T20 cricket. But now now that people have started to take it a lot more seriously, we've seen them develop actual... You, you see that there is a, a role for strategy, yeah. for analysis, yeah. for everything. It's just not come see ball, hit ball, that sort of game. No, no, T10, definitely. T20 has revolutionized cricket. Yeah, and I don't think T10 has is long enough for people to show anything <clears throat> that we like about cricket at least. 
Well, I mean, we. I mean, look, plenty of people and new, especially new fans, love seeing sixes. So, like, I, I think that's all they care about. And when someone can just hit like, I don't know, hundred runs and ten overs, or hundred fifty runs and ten overs, or whatever they they're getting to, people will love seeing it. We won't love seeing it, but the new fans will. So, I mean, T ten T ten could be sort of a way into the Olympics without, well, by compromising a lot of things about cricket, but. It's like a cricket starter pack for beginners. Yeah. Um, one last question before we go. Women's cricket. No, we discussed women's cricket with the Commonwealth Games and all of that. Yeah. One thing, one point about T, one point about T10 cricket, by the way, is how in, how it is slowly getting a lot more popular popular with today's internationals. Um, so like Johnny Bairstow just signed a deal to join the T10, T10 league, um, and that's a huge high profile signing for them. Uh, and I think. Clearly, like at some point, we could see it going from just Besto being the biggest name to a lot of other big names joining. And then you'll have to look at T10 completely differently. We haven't mentioned. Yeah, that's exactly what I was coming to. What? The 100. <laughs> I have one line on the 100. It's shit. Oh, that's less than. I don't think that's a line. That's not a line, that's two words. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, that those two words are going to be our, it's, this is going to come up to a very cheesy and nice conclusion for everything because just like Australia's cricket team, the hundred is shit, <laughs> and that's the perfect way to end this segment. Thanks, guys, for listening. All right, uh, welcome back, guys. This is uh, No Balls Cricket again. Um, this is the third part of our mega episode this time. Um, and we're going to discuss the main bit, the preview for the massive test series coming up between India and Australia. Uh, India and Australia has traditionally been uh, a bit of a one-sided rivalry, but over the last few years, it's kind of turned into one of the hottest properties on the international cricket calendar. Uh, everybody looks forward to it. It's a spicy series. Uh, we've had a number of incidents over the last 20 years or so that have gone on as the Indian side has gotten better and more competitive. Uh, particularly in Australian conditions. But we're previewing this series. Um, four tests. They begin Thursday the 6th of December at the Adelaide Oval. Uh, none of them are day-night. Remember that. Um, they're all day games. They're beginning on the 6th. And uh, they run through all the way up till the New Year's Test in Sydney in 2019. Um, right, first things first. India have had... A few problems overseas with their batting. Australia have had a lot of problems with their batting because of the uh, bans to Finch, Warner, uh, sorry, to Warner Smith and um, what's his name? Bancroft. Bancroft. <laughs> Bancroft. <laughs> I forgot his name for a second. <laughs> and, and Cameron Bancroft. Um, and um, yeah, we, we, noticeably, Tim Payne took over captaincy in Pakistan. Well, in the UAE against Pakistan, uh, they were not particularly good there. They got a bit of a beating. And no, other than Usman Khawaja, nobody's looked like they could really bat. So we'll start with the Australian batting lineups. Both batting lineups are a cause for concern. India, of course, in England, where their batting failed uh, and they had all sorts of problems. And of course, I'm missing Prithvi Shaw, who uh, injured his ankle in the warm up game and is out, well, at least for the first test. Uh, we don't know how long or how long term that injury is. Uh, in the over over time, but at least for the first test, he's not playing. Uh, but we'll begin with Australia. They haven't done well 
of late. Aaron Finch is um, who's traditionally batted in the middle order for Victoria, and they've also um, announced a uh, new opener, a new debutant opener is going to be with with the squad. And uh, Marcus Harris is most likely to debut, considering that there are no backup openers in the squad, at least for the first test. But uh, what do you think about this opening combination for them and their batting lineup in general? What do you think of their batting lineup? Um, it's interesting because obviously in in uh, in the UAE, um, Khwaja opened alongside Finch. I think they're making a good call by pushing him down a bit because the middle order was was their big weakness in the UAE. Uh, but at the same time, that means um, you know Marcus Harris being uh, thrown in into a very high pressure series, uh, and that's always going to be a tough one. But I think it. I mean, what you were asking about Finch, I, I mean, look, you know, these are conditions Finch is used to. It's 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 a home series. I don't think that should be too much of an issue. He was the um, you know even in the UAE, he was the the one uh, opener who I felt was doing well in in those conditions against a really good fast bowler in Mohammed Abbas. Um, so, I I don't see him as much of a concern. I think it's lower down the order where people like you. Both the Marsh brothers can be a bit hit and miss. Um, you know, Tim Payne isn't more missed than hit. Definitely, <laughs> you know, so like Sean Marsh looks like a great batsman when he's in form, right? He's literally, I think he's he's essentially Australia's Rohit Sharma, where he's like when you see him stroke a really fluent with half the talent. <laughs> When you see him hit a really fluent 100 in whatever format, it's like, wow, what an innings. But that comes along maybe once every, what, five matches, ten matches, something ridiculous like that. So, uh, there is that concern. I mean, they would uh, they would expect that because they're playing at home, maybe that should uh, bring around a change in fortunes. Um, but obviously, the Indian bowling attack is going to be a, a pretty tough one to deal with this time. Uh, okay, so... The other concern that they have is who out of Hanscom on Travis Head will play. Um, because they can't pick both. Uh, and Mitch Marsh is going to take that number six slot with, with uh, Tim Payne as the wicketkeeper at seven. So, he gets number five for you. Because we know for certain that the top four are going to be Finch, Harris, Kwaja and Sean Marsh. Who gets number five? Is it Hanscom? Is it Travis Head? See, honestly, look, if it, if it were my call, I would have dropped Sean Marsh and then put both Hanscom in and Head in. But... Um... I if you are, if I think picking between the two of them, Hanscom's also not really been consistent since he made a decent start to his test career. I think I'd pick Travis Head there. Okay, Travis Head it is. Um, most people have also. I mean, we've heard some of the opinions. Ricky Ponting and uh, a number of Australian uh, or former Australian cricketers have all said that uh, you they'd all pick Head over Hanscom. Uh, and and despite all the technique technical adjustments and the number of runs that Hanscom has made in Shield cricket. Um, but uh, they, we'll move on to the Indian batting now because Australia, I mean, there's not really much that they can pick from. It's only the toss-up between Hanscom and Head and Mitch Marsh comes in as the all-rounder. Um, and and, uh, and Tim Payne, whose own form hasn't been great with the with the bat. But, uh, you know, he's he's got to be in there. He's almost doing a Dan Sammy-like job for them at the moment. Well, um, he's also long. I think he's long can't. been considered their like in terms of pure wicket keeping skills. I think Tim Payne's been considered their best keeper for a long time, right? It's just been that the you know they've been better keeper batsmen than than Payne around, and they've gotten that's why you know Matthew Wade's got 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 the nod ahead of him before that. Brad Haddon, it just seemed like keepers who were better batsmen were getting getting in above him. 
I also heard that there were a few calls for Matthew Wade to get in as a pure batsman, but uh, we laughed that off as, <laughs> as just complete. Well, I mean, if that happened, that would be oh my god, the listen, the hell I, would have frozen over. I, also, it would be a disservice to us as cricket fans to have Matthew Wade on the pitch but not behind the stumps shouting "Nice, Gary!" every time Nathan Lyon bowls. Yeah, it feels wrong when he shouts it from cover, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, we'll move on to India's batting. Because, again, the batting's been a cause of concern for both sides. Um, though You can't read too much into the warm-up game. Most people got 50s. Vijay got 100. Um, but I think the main concern was the injury to Prithvi Shaw. Because now that leaves them with KL Rahul, who looks woefully out of form. And Murli Vijay. Now, having Murli Vijay back can't be the worst thing in the world because he is a very steady opener. But Rao's form would be worrying. And if you if it came down to a choice, I'm very certain that Vijay and Shaw would have opened in this first test. Yeah, I, I get the feeling Rahul was in danger of being dropped. At, and I think maybe still is, depending on what where, you know Shaw's fitness over the series. It's also crazy that an 18-year-old with, with two tests of worth of experience is... Now that crucial to our uh, to our batting lineup, but and, and that too, those two tests were against the West Indies, who, by the way, have gotten stuffed by Bangladesh over two test matches. So, you know, yeah, go figure. Yeah, but um, yeah, I I would agree, Rahul. You know, and it's weird because Rahul obviously came into that West Indies series on the back of that hundred in, in the finals uh, test against England, but then just doesn't seem to have found any sort of fluency since then. Um, and Sanjay Bangar, I think, made a fairly telling comment during the. Uh, practice match when I think when Rahul got out essentially playing a drive on the up to mid-off so again a very Rohit Sharma dismissal where any and Bangar just said look he, we know he's got talent we know he's been hitting it well in the net so we're not worried about his form but he's a senior player now he's not someone with just you know five test matches in you know raw in the squad or whatever he needs to start batting with responsibility and I think that if he doesn't do that in the first couple of tests where regardless of whether he looks you know looks good or plays well or whatever but if he's not batting with that responsibility he gets out cheaply to bad shots he could very easily be dropped when Shaw's fit yeah um i think that's that's a real cause for concern the rest of the the batting lineup pretty much picks itself except for number 6 because you'll have <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to number 6 in a second we have pujara virat kohli and rahane they pretty much pick themselves Who's your number six? <laughs> is it going to be Vihari or or and I can't believe I mean two months ago I wouldn't even I wouldn't have even breathed this thought, but Rohit Sharma, could he possibly be the number six in the first test match? Yeah, everyone loves Rohit Sharma when he's not in the test side. It's weird because when when we were in South Africa and he played ahead of Ajinkya Rahane, everyone's like, dude, why why is Rohit playing ahead of Rahane? How can you drop Rahane? Blah blah blah. And Listen, now, I did not love. I did not love. No, it no, when no. Was, okay, not all fans, but the all the. I I hated it when he was in the test side. Yeah, but and I loved it when he was not there. So that's go my figure. point. Now, now suddenly, all of the all of the pundits are just like, how can you not have Rohit Sharma in the test side? How can he not be in this eleven? Like, and it's like at the beginning of this year, the fact that he was in the eleven was the biggest controversy that there was in Indian, in the Indian batting lineup. Um. So look, I look. If it's up to me, I would I would be picking Bihari just on recent form. Uh, obviously, neither of them played in the West Indies series. But just, I mean, you've given Bihari the chance to, you know, blood himself in. You've marked him as a test player. Now stick with him. What is the, What was the point of bringing him for one test? We get to 50 on debut in tough conditions. And then if you're just going to drop him for Rohit Sharma, whose test career has been uh, an entire, like, you know, 
five, ten years, five, seven years of flattering to receive, five years. Uh, I, why would you bring him back? Like, I, I don't understand the logic. And it's not like he's, you know, utterly killed it in in uh, in the Ranji Trophy that he's... I mean, he hasn't played the Ranji Trophy. I mean, he so hasn't even played he any hasn't first played the, Yeah, he so hasn't played any first You're picking, him on, he, you're picking him on one England day form. You're picking him on one yeah, day form. Yeah, you're... Oh, suddenly we, uh, the, our selectors think that they're Ed Smith and, uh, and uh, James <laughs> Taylor. You know, oh, one day form. Oh, look, a leg spinner. No. Oh God! Uh, Let's not forget Virat Kohli's first Test match in, as captain was in Australia, and he picked Karan Sharma in that eleven. Well, I mean, Kohli has a history of bizarre picks. Although I think in that instance, that kind of that one worked in our favor because it kind of spurred Ravi Ashwin onto greater things. But uh, uh, Karan Sharma was and never has was and never has been and still remains a shit spinner. <laughs> he should never have been picked. And he's going to be one of those one-test wonders, you know. The answer to some bizarre trivia question about 20 years down the line. <laughs> um, yeah, and but yeah, that's that remains with Rohit Sharma. Rishabh Pant obviously is going to be a wicketkeeper. Uh, I, I mean, unless uh, Guddu has his way and Pathif Patel gets a goal. Yeah, we need to give a uh, shout-out to Sarath and, and, and say that Pathif Patel is, is in consideration as the backup keeper. Yeah, uh, you know, as, or as he likes to call him, Papa. <laughs> He's clearly his daddy. Um, oh, God. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll move on to the bowling now. Um, so, Australia going with a very settled bowling lineup. Uh, I'm very certain Tremaine and Siddle will miss out on that first test. Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins, and Nathan Lyon, that's your bowling lineup. Yeah. With Mitch Marsh as a possible fifth bowler. I think that's set in stone. Yeah, that's pretty Barring funny. any. F- Freak accidents between now and the sixth, and um, yeah, so not much to say. It's a good bowling lineup for Australian conditions, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's um, we saw in the Ashes well, last year. It's a good year. bowling lineup for any conditions. Yeah, exactly. We saw in the Ashes last year that they will make a, a slightly worse batting lineup look really bad. Um, because I wouldn't say that England's batting li- lineup was that much worse than Australia's, but the Australian bowlers were just just made them look like amateurs again. Um, and you know India's batting will have to be on top of his game today. And and India's batting has not done well away from home. Um, I think for all the talk of this being the weakest Australia side in a long time, that bowling attack is still puts it within a shout of uh, you know winning the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and by the way, that's, the, I'm talking about the fast bowlers. The last time India toured Australia, Nathan Lyon was the highest wicket taker with 23 wickets. I think it was. Um, I think Nathan Lyon will always be a threat wherever yeah. he goes. He's, he's a class bowler. He's three hundred and forty odd wickets yeah. by now. So you know you gotta just you gotta just doff your hat to him. Hats and off. yeah, and the Indian batting yeah. lineup just doesn't pay enough respect to spinners anyway. And mm-hmm. and away from home, I think that's a vulnerability as well. Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, so I mean, Australia's bowling is always going to be key. It's how everyone deals with it. The only cause of concern that Australia do have. And it's a really minor gripe, uh, honestly, because uh, they've all proven their fitness in Sheffield Shield games and things like that. But they're all coming off long-term injuries. So, uh, yeah. other than Lyon, all the three quicks have all been long-term casualties. Yeah, that's true. Stress fractures, uh, you know, uh, bone spur in, uh, in the heel for Stark, uh, things like that. So, it, they're, they're not short-term injuries. So, if something goes wrong, it could go majorly wrong. And that's, I think, their only real concern. 
other than that, I think they're going to trouble India's batsmen quite a lot, especially in the Australian conditions. Oh, yeah, definitely. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think the fitness is a concern, um, you know, especially with people like Stark and, and, and Cummins who are uh, fast bowlers and put a lot of strain on their body and, you know, have that history of injuries. It's not just... I think I don't recall Hazelwood having a lengthy, lengthy injury list in, in terms of his history, but Stark and Cummins have always had that. Uh, and that how they, you know, keep up over a four-test series. I mean, they managed in in South Africa, um, you know, sandpaper and whatnot. But it, it, that that's always going to be at the back of the Australians' minds when when fielding that lineup. Well, I'll just put things into perspective for you. Neither Cummins nor Stark, uh, sorry, nor Hazelwood have played any international cricket since that series. Yeah, it makes a difference. Um, it makes a big difference. Yeah. yeah. No, no, um, it's it's going to be a big test for them to prove their fitness over for, for mm-hmm. over a four test series. How do they stop Kohli? Well, if you uh, apparently, according to Jason Gillespie and and Ryan Harris, two Australian greats, you're supposed to uh, get him to drive because he drives and plays with very hard hands and gets out that way. And he apparently kept doing so in England. Uh, I don't know what what England test series. Gillespie and Harris were watching because I think Kohli was playing the softest. I'm pretty sure they were watching. I'm pretty sure it was 2014. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, actually, the Crick Info did this great article. Um, Sid should have been here for this because he would have appreciated this. But um, basically, data uh, a data-driven bowling strategy for Kohli. And he, he his average is um, much lower when it, when the ball is pitched up i mean look it's a full it's test cricket full deliveries are the hard, hardest to deal with the thing is um that difference in average is that his his average against the full deliveries in australia is 46 or sorry full deliveries this in in away test this series this year is 46 compared to like 69 and 66 when it comes to good length and short deliveries but if your worst if your weakness has you averaging at 46 then i think you know that says it all really so, what, you're expecting one of the 500 runs from him in four tests? I mean, last time it was more than that, right? He got 600, 600-something, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, that's uh, exactly why my question. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, whether he has another Adelaide-type performance where he gets twin hundreds, I don't know. But, yeah, I don't expect Kohli to be found out or anything this tour. If it wasn't going to happen, by the, if James Anderson and company couldn't do it, then it's not going to happen in Australia. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, India's bowling. Uh, now, this is an interesting one because they got hit for 500 in the warm-up game. Um, I don't think you can read too much into that either. Uh, and so, you're going to pick four bowlers in all likelihood unless Kohli decides that the pitch is really flat and picks five. If he picks five, what combination is he going with? Is he going to go with two spinners? Um, does Jadeja get get in in that in that uh, in that team then, you know, because because of the way he can bat, uh, and which three picks you pick, and what about Kuldeep Yadav? So there's a lot of questions that you need to ask about this Indian bowling lineup, but the most important one is can they adapt to flatter conditions? We saw how good they were in England, where the ball was doing a bit, and uh, they've always been good in India when they can get the ball to reverse swing, even though they don't have a lot of work to do other than that, um, but. Is it can they adapt to flatter conditions in Australia, particularly after uh, the shine is worn off and then the ball gets a bit softer? That Kookaburra also doesn't move a lot uh, after the first fifteen overs or so. Yeah, it's it's a question. I mean, last time last time we were there, Shami was 
the leading wicket taker for India, and I expect him to be one of the quicks for sure. Um, Bumrah obviously is going to be a big difference maker. You know, he's uh, wasn't there in Australia last time, but he cha- I think he changes the game, right? Because his pace, his uh, you know, his delivery action, um, the fact that he can vary his lengths according to the pitch, uh, that that's a game changer. I think it comes down to then where you have Ishan, Umesh, Bhuvi. Uh, which one do you pick if you're only going with three seamers? Three seamers? Um, you know, Ishan has like a mixed history in, in Australia where he obviously made his debut in Perth and um, you know, had that magical spell against Ricky Ponting. But since then, it's not really been... He's not really had the best of times. Both Ishan and Umesh in the last series were just tonked all around. Like, I remember them having like economy rates of over four and over five uh, in a lot of bowling innings in that series. Um, they both improved since then, so you you it's, you wouldn't expect to see a repeat of that. But um, you know, it's a sort of personal demons to kind of banish for them. Um, but I I do get the feeling that both of them right now are ahead of Bhuvi in the pecking order when it comes to tests. Um, just because, like, I, I think um, you know, firstly, Bhuvi's been out with injuries for for a lot of this year, um, and I I think you know, Kohli just likes that that pace. Uh, and someone who can hit the deck hard and all of that a lot more than he appreciates someone like movies bowling? Uh, well, I mean, okay. So, the the thing with movies bowling in Australia is you have to look at it two ways. One, he's also coming off a bit of an injury layoff. Yeah. Uh, how he adapts to flat conditions is another story. Adelaide is traditionally a very flat deck. So, it'll be interesting to see how... If they play him first, uh, and I don't, I do not think they will in the first test. I think they're not going to risk him there. I think they might do it in Perth, where the ball does do a bit more, but uh, not in Adelaide for sure. Um, and yeah, but I mean, you know, he's he's for me after Bumrah, he's probably your best bowler. So he has to play more than one test match in the series. Um, but again, it just it's just how he recovers from injury. And, yeah. yeah. I think the first test we're going to see a Bumrah Shami Ishant attack, and then there's going to be rotation through the rest of the series. I mean, there could be a case of four seamers, but then we'd have to drop a batsman to play a spinner essentially. Mm-hmm. No, well, the other option you obviously have is playing two spinners and, and dropping a batsman because Jadeja can bat, and yeah. so can Ashwin. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you always have that option. But uh, then that ignores Kuldeep Yadav entirely, and a wrist spinner in Australian conditions could be very useful. Yeah, but, that's a, yeah. As you're saying, that, yeah. that's one interesting. But um, he's and he's already had his fast bowlers before we move on. Sorry, huh? Go for, go for it. Yeah, I just want to finish one interesting point, one point on the fast bowlers. Uh, I tend to I agree with you. I think the first test they'll go uh, Bumrah, Ishant, and Shami. I think uh, after that they'll probably rotate, and I think Bhuvi will come in in Perth uh, and maybe in Melbourne where the ball might do a bit on a slightly damper wicket. Um, but uh, you know, um, you look at. And then you'll have to obviously talk about the the rest of the, the guys, Umesh Yadav, who will probably get a look in sometime later on in the series. Um, but yeah, no, coming back to Kuldeep Yadav, it'll be interesting to see how they play, who they play, which spinner they go for. Are they going to play two spinners? Will they go with one spinner? Uh, and will they? And if they go with one spinner, will it be Kuldeep Yadav? Because uh, rich history of leg spin and wrist spin in Australia always does well. Yeah. I think it would be a bold call to have Kuldeep over Ashwin and Jadeja. Um I, I'm saying with Kohli, I don't think they, he'll ever worry about, uh, oh shit, what's going to be the reaction if um, if, I do, if I pick one spinner over uh, both Ashwin and Jadeja. That's not going to be an issue. But 
yeah, he also did pick Kuldeep at Lords, and it turned out to be a completely disastrous decision. Um, so maybe that will be in the back of his mind. But it'd be interesting because he Kuldeep had seemed to have some of the Australian batsmen's number when it when it came to the T Twenty series. Um, and and maybe like, I'm pretty sure he's going to play in one of the Test matches at some point. Whether it's as as the lone spinner, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. That's going to be interesting. Um, but okay, so who would be your spinner for the first test? I think right now you have to go with Ashwin. Honestly, I, I think, and Ashwin has a point to prove, and yeah, especially coming against coming up against Lion, someone like Lion who um, does well in Australian conditions. Obviously, they're different types of bowlers. So even though they're both off spinners, you can't. It's not necessarily a, a, an apples to apples comparison. But Ashwin does have a point to prove, and I think um, I think he's going to bowl like that. You know, with that in his mind. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's uh, our point on the Indian bowling. Just, uh, just a side note: Vicky Ponting has come out and said that his three quicks for the first test will be Shami, Ishan, and Umesh Yadav. No Bhuvi, no Bumrah. So that's an interesting thing to look at. Um, but yeah, uh, predictions for the se- for this test match. Firstly, for Adelaide, and then we'll move on to the entire series. For the first match, I think. Look, India don't start well. Um, and I think that's 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 a concern. I think even I'm gonna call it. I'm gonna say it's gonna be a draw, but I think even a draw is optimistic. So Australia win. I'm you look. I'm gonna say I, I'm gonna call a draw, but I think I'm being optimistic by saying that. Okay, you're calling a yeah. draw. Um, yeah, I know India don't start well, so I'm also good. I'm gonna go with an Australian win actually. Uh, I I just feel our batting looks a bit under, especially without Shaw and. Uh, there's no real support for Kohli. So, it'll be interesting to see how they do though. And if they do end up not losing in Adelaide, then I just feel Perth, we might have a better better chance because this Australian batting lineup can be vulnerable to a yeah. ball. Yeah, that I agree with you. I think I, I would be happy with a draw. I think the ideal scenario, uh, I mean, obviously the ideal scenario is a win, but I think we'd be happy with drawing this first test and then going on to Perth. With the score still nil nil and and winning that one, I think in flatter conditions Australia probably have the edge. But when the ball starts doing a bit, I think we do. Yeah, yeah, um, that, yeah. So that that would be that. And series, what are um, you I'm still gonna go with two one to India. I think, I You're going yeah, to I think more out of necessity. I think like India need to win this more than that they. Uh, I mean, and on paper, the batting lineup is better. Bowling lineup is only maybe marginally worse, but not enough for it to make up for the difference in batting, I think. Um, and also, I think there's just a point to prove, right? Because the, it's the whole, like, this was supposed to be the year where they proved that they're genuinely the best team in the in the world. And they've gone and had two away series and not done well in them. And now I think it's just like, okay, look, we have to win this series. And I think that mentality is going to come out in a way that possibly even more so than Australia, who also have a point to prove themselves with the whole, you know, review of cricket and sandpaper gate and everything. But I, I think just by sheer force of will, especially from Kohli, I think India are winning this series. Mm. Kohli especially, yeah. Um, one other a point of note uh, is if Australia's fast bowlers break down, one of them, they don't tend to have the kind of backup that India do. Yeah, I mean, look, if you if we can even seriously consider leaving people like Boomra and Bovi out, then clearly not. Whereas they've essentially just brought back Peter Sittle and uh, Chris Tremaine. I mean, not really sure about him. 
so you never know um Hmm. If that if that does become an issue, I think obviously big advantage to India. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was gonna go with a drawn series. I would think uh, one all or maybe two two even. I think all four tests might have results. Um, so that might be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, two two. Uh, I'm gonna stick with that. I think it'll be a drawn series. I think India will do well in a couple of test matches, and Australia will do well in the first test and the last <laughs> test. So there you go. It would be interesting if it, if Australia go into that last test needing a win to save, save the series because I think there's so same much series, yeah. there's so much going on with Australian cricket at the moment that I think there'll be just a huge sort of the same thing I'm sort of saying with mentality and willpower with the Indian team. I think that could kick in with Australia as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Right, that's uh, our preview of the series. On the next part, we'll talk about. Uh, our top 10 moments from the last 20 years of India-Australia, the Border Gavaskar Trophy and that intense rivalry. Alright, on to the fourth segment of our massive India-Australia preview. I mean, massive episode in general with the India-Australia preview, the headline. Um, so, because this has been such a spicy rivalry, especially in the last 20 years or so, uh, we, Sid and I just wanted to go through our favourite moments of the India-Australia rivalry. There's been, obviously, you've got uh, you know, Harbhajan Singh and Andrew Simons and um, slightly schoolboy disputes over getting some work done. Um, you know, the, so much has happened in this rivalry over the last 20 years. Um, and starting, of course, everything will start and end with that epic series in 2000. But apart from that, the greatest hits from India and Australia, from the Border Gavaskar Trophy, as it were. Um Wait, do you want to start with homework, homework Gate? I think that that has to be one of my favorite Australian memories. Okay, so for the listeners, this is going to be a very biased one. And let's just like keep it simple because the, the Australians listening are not going to enjoy this. Well, actually, they might. <laughs> they might. There's a few things. In it. Oh, yeah, we'll, 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 mention we'll mention some, some, yeah. some Australian moments. But a, a large chunk of it is them not enjoying this. Uh, it's going to be a rather yeah. biased one because we're both Indian and Indian fans. So with that and, in mind... And we both... Don't like Australia. I think for both of us, they're probably our least favorite team around. Yeah, I quite tend to agree with that. And with that in mind, yeah. with that in mind, homework gate. Let's begin there. So in the in the in the glorious days of Mickey Arthur as Australian coach, he and Michael Clark set players a fairly easy assignment that between the second and third t- tests of a series in India in 2013. Um, and four players decided they weren't going to do their homework. Um, the, the, these dignity, dignified uh, rebels were Shane Watson, who was vice-captain at the time. And also uh, Mitchell Johnson. Class A douchebag. <laughs> yeah, but when has he not been? That's his hair. Um, I mean, I didn't mind him from the 05 series when apparently he was scared of ghosts in the ashes. <laughs> but other than that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the only time I've liked Shane Watson. Um, but yeah, Shane Watson, James Pattinson, Mitchell Johnson, and Usman Khawaja. Um, yeah, all failed to do their homework. Uh, Michael Clark invented a word saying that they should up here to st- uh, international cricket standards, which they hadn't. Uh, at the time, Michael Clark was captain and um, was averaging, I think, like 100 plus in that, in that past year. So I think he had every right to tell his players to buck up. But yeah, all f- um, Watson just took a flight and went home. 
and the other three were suspended for the next test, all because they couldn't get their homework done. Um, and it divided Australian cricket, obviously, because everyone's like, why are you making cricketers do homework? Some of them, well, rather, half the people were like, why are you making cricketers do homework? And the other half were like, why can't they do their homework? I mean, probably a parenting lesson. But maybe we should get your dad on. Jesus, it sounds so ridiculous now, doesn't it? Homework kid. At the time, it was funny. <laughs> but now it just sounds so completely ridiculous and bizarre. I mean, how on earth, what was Arthur thinking by making them do homework? And needless to say, they ended up losing that series 4-0. Yeah. Yeah, Australia had a pretty uh, bad run of it in India for a long time. But I think that was one of the milder episodes. India-Australia rivalries have been a bit... Well, heated is a mild word. They've been tense and, and, and you know, there's been uproar and uh, there's been a lot of yeah. um, controversy... And it barely a, barely a day goes by during an India-Australia test series when there isn't some sort of, uh, you know, major controversy going on. Uh, so, I think two consecutive series, Virat Kohli accused Australia of lacking respect. Um, both, one, bo- both the one down, in, down under in 2014-15 and then when they came... Well, I mean, they, he couldn't have call, asked them to lack respect in that series. What are you talking about? That was the one after Phil Hughes died. Yeah, but he ended. I remember him having a fight with Mitchell Johnson, and then he said Mitchell Johnson was just just lacks respect for people, um, and obviously it's a big deal because Australia is like, oh, we we always respect everyone. Like you, like here you're saying disrespectful, and you think you're just being mean to someone. There, it's like you've just insulted their entire existence. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. It's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a cultural divide. Speaking of cultural divides. <laughs> Speaking of cultural divides, should we go there? And this one was a genuinely, um, a genuinely divisive and really, really intense uh, controversy. I mean, it boiled on for a while. It ended up with one of possibly the weirdest, most bizarre hearings ever and almost cancelled a tour. We're talking about Monkey Gate. It's obviously the most famous one out of all of the scandals that have rocked India-Australia cricket over the years. Um, and remember, the Australian team, after that test match, was on a winning streak. Uh, they'd won 16 consecutive, 16, 16 tests. consecutive test matches. Yeah, yeah, which was record, equal their own record. Uh, records that both got ended by India, as it were. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so that... And the context, right? Because that was this infamous Sydney test where uh, a bunch of... Umpiring decisions had gone against no, India. Essentially, the birth of DRS. Just, yeah, it was the birth of DRS. You had the umpiring decisions going against. It wasn't just bad umpiring, though. It was also like, you know, Australian players claiming catches that weren't catches. And, you know, it was, I think it was definitely the start of my hatred for Australia, that test match. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and in the middle and in the middle of all this, Harbhajan Singh and, and, and Andrew Simons had a tiff. And whether he said monkey or teri maki, is just remains up for debate, but we're going to take Harbhajan at his word. Let's look at and it this way. I, I just all of Australia now knows what Terry Maki means. <laughs> but the other way to look at it is what I said, what I was saying to you earlier. Like, it, it, is there a more Punjabi thing ever than to say, "Look, I wasn't being racist. I didn't say monkey. I said Terry Maki." <laughs> that is true. That is one of the most Punjabi things that can ever happen to anybody on the on a cricket field. That too to Andrew Simons, who's a very scary looking guy to begin with. 
Yeah, but I don't think Harpreet Singh is scared of anyone. Um, no, that's also but true. Yeah, because, because, because the Australians heard monkey and thought Bhaji was being racist, there was a huge... Uh, Harbhajan got charged and then there was, uh, you know, there were hearings after it. Sachin Tendulkar got very, uh, you know, r- righteous and, and said, look, if he's being charged with racism uh, incorrectly, then we should just cancel this tour and go home. There was like, I think a week where, where uh, India just would like shut up in their own world, essentially, the Indian team. Um, either in the hotels or just off out, but like not interacting with the media or whatever. And then thankfully, Harbhajan's hearing happened. He was... Uh, he was able to prove that he was saying Teri Maki and uh, the tour went on. And then we went on and won the next test in Perth. A pretty famous Indian win. Yeah, um, a very famous Indian win indeed. And uh, of course, we didn't end up going on to win that series. But Monkey Gate makes that a really famous series for us. Um, and, you know, it, it, yeah. uh, it turned... Yeah, well. Yeah, that because coming back, coming back from the way we'd lost that test. For forget all the controversies over umpiring and whatnot. We were still, you know, only seven down entering the last over of the test, and then Michael Clark managed to rip out three wickets. Um, so it was a heartbreaking way to lose the test anyway. Up, and then you add all the all the bad decisions, and I mean, what I would call blatant cheating from the Australian side. Then you, on top of that, you have this entire controversy over racism, uh, and then to go into the next test. And and just uh, and don't you know put all that behind them and win and and in a venue that India were never traditionally successful at in Perth. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it was you know it was a pretty major moment for Indian cricket. Right, definitely. I mean, that was a, a seminal moment in Indian cricket, and uh, of course that tour ended with us winning the uh, one day uh, one day series at, uh, after the tri series, and it also included Sri Lanka, I believe. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and yep, the, the the, I think that was uh, with- MS Dhoni's first. Uh, First assignment as one-day captain, and of course that launched a thousand suns. Um, but you know that that was uh, one of the most important things that happened on that tour, and and yeah, uh, it was a pretty important tour for India actually that one. But let's go back to where it all began now. Um, I think the seminal series out of all of these, the one that will probably go down as one of the greatest test series of all time. Had it been more than three tests, it probably would have, uh, but. Uh, as a modern test series, it competes with maybe only the 2005 Ashes as the greatest test series ever. I'm talking 2001, um, the other yeah. time that India stopped Australia from, you know, conquering that world record of uh, 17 consecutive, that streak of 16 wins. Um, and, and just think about it. You've lost the first test match. You're following on. You're four wickets down, trailing by 66. How do you win a three-match series from there? Yeah, it is... I think this, the 1981 Ashes and the 05 Ashes, I think you just put these three as the... As, and this, I think, as far as matches go, I would also then go back to the same series. You'd say Edgbiston 05, Headingley 81, and Kolkata 2001 as three of the best matches of all times. Um, I mean, look, it's just astonishing, right? And I think it basically, I think ev- the one of the biggest impacts is that every Australian captain since then has been afraid to enforce the follow-on. I mean, it's, it, I don't think it's not the, just Australian captains. I think all captains. All captains. Yeah, fair point, actually. All captains have been afraid, have always had to think twice about enforcing the follow-on just because of what India did in that test match. Yeah, right? definitely. Where... F- f- you like 445 
Australia made 445 in that first ma- first innings. India were bowled out for 171. And then, as you said, four wickets down pretty early in the second innings. And then Lakshman, Lakshman and Dravid just... They batted a whole day together. A whole day. What? A full day. I, I mean, that is mind-boggling. Yeah, I, look, I mean, that second innings, look, we had a 50-run opening partnership. But Lakshman came in and Lakshman came in at three in that innings. Um, which was a big tactical call that in that match. Uh, and then we were, what, I think we were 200-something before and still pretty far behind. And just, I, I, you, you read the stories from that match, you know, Lakshman and Dravid just dripping with sweat. They, had to, they needed IV at the end of the day to be able to recover and b- go out and bat the next day because they had just expended that much energy. Um, and to go from being bowled out for 170, 171 to making 657 and winning that test match, it was just epic. I mean, and of course, you know, we're forgetting the most important part of that test match. Um, there was a certain young Sardar named Harbhajan Singh who kind of burst onto <laughs> the scene even there. That was the genesis of his career, essentially. I mean, uh, he took a hat-trick in yeah. that test match. He ended up with, I think, 13 wickets in that game and 14 in the next one. And hit the winning runs to win us the series as well. And without him, yeah. I don't think India would have won that series. It, it was there was no, no way. I think thirty-two wickets over three yeah, tests. I, I mean, that's that's crazy. Yeah, I think between him, him, Lakshman, and and uh, and Dravid, I mean, just all heroic performances, both in that in that match in particular, but in the series overall as well. And he also took a hat. I, I mean, game. the series. Yeah, and to, and and even the third test was like where I mean Harbhajan sort of um, like if Harbhajan hadn't shown up when he did that series would probably have been a lost cause. We probably would have still at the very best we probably would have made it one all. But Australia had a fairly small target to make in that third test, and Harbhajan you know won that game for us as well. Uh, let me just correct you on that. It was us chasing a small target. And we almost blew it. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Harbhajan yeah, yeah, Singh came and hit the winning runs. Tendulkar scored a hundred in the first innings of that Test match, and yeah, it, it got to a ve- to be a very very tight Test match. And of course, that was um, yeah. Sorry, I I conflated the Calcutta and Bombay Tests, but uh, yeah, um, it just the week Harbhajan bowled in Bombay was ridiculously good. Uh, yeah, and the other thing about that series was, of course, uh, Ganguly's tactic of delaying the toss. And delaying Steve Warren, just, <laughs> just, just, just in general, being really annoying. I don't know if it had any impact on it, on on uh, if it had any impact on the games themselves, but it really got under Steve Waugh's skin. I I'm, I think it did. I think just by doing that, it had an impact. Um, because. You know, Steve Waugh is usually a fairly unflappable character, but he just gets, like, once you wound him up, it was like all of Australia was just like, what the hell is going on? That's true. We'll move on from there. Uh, also, correction, by the way, that third test was in Chennai, not Yeah, Mumbai, the third test was but, Chennai, not Mumbai. Um, yeah. The first test was Mumbai, where Australia, well, they yeah. beat us handsomely. Um, yeah. 2003-04, um, that series is, of course, remembered for two things. One, because Australia was so good, nobody remembers when they won anything anyway. Um, that was remembered for them losing uh, after making 540 in Adelaide. 
where Raul Dravid had yeah. the, probably the match of his life. Yeah. And yeah. You know, that that was like the the personal duel with Ponting where po- Ponting hit a double century in the first innings. Rahul Dravid replied with a double century of his own. Then Ponting got out for a duck in the second innings and Dravid was there to make sure we, you know, we chased down a slightly tricky target and there were no hiccups. Yeah, and uh, there was an unsung hero in that test match. Ajit Agarkar. 6 for 41. <laughs> 6 for 41. Ah, Ajit Agarkar. I think it's the only test yeah. 5 for that anybody ever remembers of his. <laughs> I, I mean, it's probably the high. But for Agarkar, if he's look, if you think, like, if you put yourself in his shoes, he's looking back on his career now. Would you put that or the century at Lords as his best move? Who remembers the century at Lords? It's this one. <laughs> uh, that and then. Um, of course, uh, Ajit Agarkar had uh, another seminal moment in Australia. Well, a few of them, actually. He went on a streak. It was five in a row. Ever since then, he's been known by but... one name. <laughs> it pains me because he's from Bombay and it's my favorite kind of fish. But he's the Bombay duck. <laughs> uh... He is the Bombay duck. Yeah. And the funny bit about it was... There's a, I think Channel 9 released a montage of it and top bunnies in international cricket. And, you know, after Chris Martin, Courtney Walsh and the rest of the ones that just look bizarre, there was a Garkar who got four first ballers. Then, to loud cheers, leaves the first ball of his fifth inning <laughs> and promptly gets bowled off to second. <laughs> So, five ducks in a row, nothing can top that for Mr. Agarkar. Uh, but he got his revenge. He did get his revenge. That 6 for 41 did inflict some sort of... There was some sort of karmic, karmic uh, you know, what goes yeah, around definitely. comes around kind of feel to it. Uh, and that moment must have meant so much to him also. Having gone through, through that, that particular exactly. run of form, yeah. Yeah, to come back and, and do that in Australia. Yeah. Uh, if I remember correctly, that was Wall's favorite farewell series as well. Yeah, right? that, that was Wall's farewell series. That was also the same yeah. test. Wall's last test was the one where uh, Tendulkar scored 240 without hitting a ball through the offside. Yeah. Um, and Wall pretty much, I mean, when Wall came into bat in his last innings, he, I, I think England, uh, sorry, Australia were in a bit of trouble and he yeah, sort of saved them saved, in that He match. had to make a 50 to save the game because I, I think India were very yeah. close to winning that series. Um, mm. Yeah. Then, then, of course, there was the. Uh, the series later on in India in 2004, um, where Australia... The final... When well, that was... They called it the final frontier. Yeah. And they finally conquered it. They finally conquered it with a little bit of help from uh, Nagpur and a green pitch. Uh, and yeah, but... <laughs> and Saurav and Saurav Ganguly just saying, nope, can't do this. Yeah, yeah, Saurav Ganguly saying, nope, can't do this. And a bit of rain as well. Uh, Sevag, I remember, we remember, was on a rampage uh, in the Chennai Test for India, chasing a small total, and the fifth day got rained out. And uh, yeah, uh, that was the first test of the series. Australia won the second. Michael Clark made his debut in that series. He got a hundred on debut in Bangalore. Um, and then, of course, and then that, Mumbai happened. And then, of course, there was that completely ridiculous two and a half day test. At the Wankhede Stadium, where he picked up six for nine. Yeah, test match ending in two and a half days with four completed innings. Like you could, you could imagine it if like someone just dominates, or if it includes, you know, like Pakistan. India did to West Indies. 
yeah i was thinking like what happened between india and west indies right now where somehow we like we backed through one and a half days and then bowled them out twice in two days but yeah this just that was like what was that pitch i think i don't think i've seen a test match pitch that bad i mean how okay i know it was in the days before all of this but how did that how did vankhede not get demerit points for that <laughs> I don't know. Like I mean, it was impossible. Yeah, like if that test match happened now, Wang Khede would probably get banned from Test for at least two years. Two years, yeah. I mean, it was Jesus. That was an awful pitch. I mean, if you ever watched the, the highlights from that uh, Test match, pace, spin—it doesn't matter what you're bowling. The ball is doing all kinds of crazy things. <laughs> it was like one of those bloody Kanga League matches. Or you know, like a Jim Khanna type match where the pitch has not been covered for days, days yeah. and and then just the ball is either shooting through or taking off, regard like just and the bowler has no control. I mean, it, it you know Michael Clark picked up six for nine, so I guess that kind of tells you the whole story. <laughs> but how bad that was! Uh, somehow India managed to win that game. I mean, I, I can't ever remember like forget that. But we won by ten runs or something. So it, it turned out to be a very exciting Test match. um despite the conditions yeah. obviously um yeah i will finish with a few more slightly more well more recent things we've spoken about monkey gate but there was one scandal that we left and that was um steve smith and his drs brain fade in 2017 look i don't even think like i'm sorry it's not a brain fade it's cheating like call it what you want but it, it was cheating it was cheating <laughs> no i don't i don't think you can call it cheating i think it was a brain fade i think he looked up at the dressing room and instinctively then he's like oh shit what did i do you know uh, it was that kind of a reaction but look uh i think dr that's not like that the, the, you know kohli very nicely stoked the fire uh, stoked the fuel uh, sorry stoked the flames on that uh, in that controversy at the end of the day he's like yeah we've been seeing australia do this for quite a while actually and then someone asks him from the one of the uh, people at the press conference asked him so are you calling them cheating and he's like no no i didn't say that you said that listen any time virat kohli <laughs> is front of a press box a press conference full of people from the press he does one thing and one thing alone and if there's any fire that needs fanning virat kohli is there with havels <laughs> with havels with havels not with his hands or some guy that's going to be waving a uh you know hand fan or something no he gets havels he'll come there stick one wall fan in and do it he doesn't need to uh, he doesn't need anything now, it doesn't take much for virat kohli to fan the flames it's i have to say though it's not a great for you know great mark on both hanscom and smith's records that they've been involved in two pretty controversial moments in the space of about a year when it comes to australian cricket because obviously you know uh sandpaper gate was what just over a year after the whole drs brain fade yeah, thing yeah. so yeah no i think you can't blame hanscom in either of them you can however blame smith well hanscom was the one who told him to look up at the dressing room so clearly either hanscom knew he was breaking the rules or hanscom didn't know the rules to begin with well okay maybe you can blame hanscom for that one but uh, sandpaper gate he only had the walkie talkie with him so <laughs> That's still hilarious. I think that, out of all the most bizarre moments of Australian cricket, that remains my favorite. Have we left anything uh, out? Have we left anything? If we've left anything out, 
I, we have. We I have know we haven't spoken because... about Tendulkar and Vaughn, but I think that's been done too many times. Um, well, no, but I was going to talk about uh, another really precious VVS Lakshman moment of ours. Um, where he was... Oh, him yelling at Oja. Oh my God, yeah. How can I forget were, that? Uh, India were like nine down chasing... How, I can't remember how much it was, was it. It was 220 it or something. Yeah, not that big a target. And when they were about 10 odd runs away, or not even, and uh, Pragyan Oja, who was running for him, um, back in the days where runners were allowed, and just goes off, sets off for a non-existent single, has to come back, and nearly gets run out and loses a match. And then Lakshman who is the calmest, most peaceful, serene person you will meet, shouts at him like nobody's business. Like, you have never seen Lakshman this animated ever. I mean, VVS Lakshman resembled an angry Merv Hughes. <laughs> Think about how like, contrasting This is something that Kohli are. would do. Exactly. This was a Kohli moment. Like, you can imagine Kohli shouting at someone for running stupidly like that. And it would be characteristic of him. This was like, this was literally Lakshman behaving like Kohli. It was quite unbelievable. It was. Uh, uh, crazy test match though. India having to chase that winning by one wicket. Yeah. Can't write those scripts. I, you know, I, I, another pretty famous win. Because I, I genuinely thought the way we had collapsed in that innings, I thought we would lose. There's only one moment I want to add. Before we end this uh, pod, um, Shikhar Dhawan's debut hundred. It was the Monkey Gate Test match. Uh, sorry, the the Homework Gate Test match, where yeah. Dhawan was brought into the side, and you know it was the most ridiculous innings because he just cover drove them for two, for like two and a half hours and got a hundred and eighty. It was amazing. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just watching Australia get put to the sword. It was an unreal, a completely amazing inning. Um, I think that that remains India's highest score on debut, right? 187. Yeah, I think it's the third highest overall. Yeah, but what an amazing um, inning! Yeah, uh, slight slight uh, falls down because obviously Shikhar Dhawan, the Test batsman, has not really kicked on from that moment. But yeah, what an innings! Yeah, definitely. Uh, have we missed anything out um, other than Sachin Tendulkar mm. and Shane Warne? Well, you guys can tell us. It does feel, it does, it does feel, uh, it does feel slightly incongruous that we're talking about India, India, Australia, and we're not me- mentioning Sachin at all, apart from him getting indignant, indignant on Bhaji's behalf. But I, um, but I think in the modern terms of India, Australia rivalry, uh, Dravid yeah. and Lakshman saved their best for Australia. Sachin saved his best for other people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Sachin started off playing really well in Australia. I remember, like he's. I think he, his debut turn was in Australia, right? And then one of his first hundreds, yeah, one of his first hundreds was yeah. in Australia. But uh, no, sorry, his debut turn was in England, in England not Australia. Then, yeah, 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 yeah. But he his debut series in Australia, I think all of Australia fell in love with him. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. everybody did. But uh, it's just that um, I think he's never saved his best for Australia, other than when he basically spilled. He used to. I think he. I think he's just started dropping off against him a bit towards the end. Well, no, the other thing was that Lakshman and Dravid saved their best for Australia. And Sachin Tendulkar didn't have that much to do. Um, So, you know. Yeah. I I guess that's our show. Yep. Yeah.